Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Okay, I got a question that is probably the most controversial water thing in the world. <laughs> Fluoride in the drinking water. Oh, I was just talking about this the other day. Um, <laughs> this is how we make yeah. everyone mad in our listening audience all at once. <laughs> yeah, um... I mean, technically, fluoride is considered a poison. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we are adding it to our water. Um, they're not; they should not be adding it in an amount to where you know it would cause significant damage. But here's the thing: um, the way that they add it, they have a hard time controlling the levels. So, you could you could end up with a slug of fluoride in the water that's higher than you would mm-hmm. like. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome back to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B., where we talk home improvement every single week. Thanks for joining us today. We have a special guest back on, Caroline. This is great. She's our water guru. (laughs) I love it. Marion Metzger, welcome to Around the House and welcome back. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is great. I'm looking forward to this. So water quality just keeps getting to be such a bigger subject. I know Caroline deals with it almost every day and more and more people are starting to figure out that what they were drinking might not have been what they thought they were drinking. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many contaminants that can be found in drinking water that don't really make themselves known in obvious ways like taste and odor and and that sort of thing. So it's like the unseen contaminants that you don't know about uh, that are really the ones that are more health related. So, yeah, it does get a little bit scary. This PFAS is getting out of control because now everybody's calling up and asking for PFAS testing. Like, that's the new thing. So I guess the word is out. And and just for our audience, too, and for Eric, just explain how PFAS, how, what the actual name of PFAS is, because we always call it this, this sort of shortened name. And then there's all these different PFAS, PFAS, PFOAS, like there's so many derivatives of it. Are they all the same chemical and how do they kind of filter out into these different chemicals names? So like PFOS is like kind of the general term that is used to kind of describe these chemicals. They're called like perf per or polyfluorinated uh, alkaline compounds. So it's it's kind of like an overall description. There's about 3000, I believe, chemicals that have been identified under 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 this class of chemicals. And like probably the most two popular ones would be uh, the PFOA and the PFOS, which are actual specific uh, chemical names for certain compounds. And, And and what I, it's not really funny, but like this has been going on for years. I mean, <laughs> these compounds are not new. They've been around since about the 60s. Um, we just sort of kind of discovered how prevalent they are in our environment uh, probably about 10 years ago um, when they started uh looking for them under the UCMR. So so now that we know they're in drinking water, now they're kind of saying, oh, well, how dangerous are these? Um, <laughs> but here, here's sort of the, the thing. Yeah, it's in our drinking water, but it's also in our house. It's in the clothes that we wear. It's in cosmetics that we put on our face. It's in um, dental floss mm. that we use every day, hopefully. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, wow. it's, it's, it's in fast food wrappers. I mean, it's in a lot of different products that people use 
every day. Um, so it's not just, you know, the drinking water. Yeah, is it upsetting that it's in our drinking water? Absolutely. Should we do something about it? Absolutely. But also keep in mind that you're you're exposing yourself in oh, other ways. <laughs> wow. That's, that's interesting. So what are some of the common ways to get or to treat or deal with PFOS coming into your home, for instance, whether you're on a well or a public water system? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways to uh, remove or reduce PFOS. And, you know, we're there's still a lot of uh, research going on about this because, like I mentioned, there's, you know, about 3,000 of these compounds. We probably can test, uh, laboratories can probably test accurately for maybe maybe 30, 45 is probably pushing it. Um, our lab actually tests for a total of 18 different compounds. So it, it kind of all depends on what's in the water, which compounds. Some technologies work better uh, than others, depending on what's there. So like the sort of the legacy ones, the PFOA and the PFOS, which are um, what they refer to common, commonly as an eight chain, meaning that it has eight carbon chains in it. Um, those are removed easily using like um, carbon systems. Um, certain ion exchange uh, medias will help reduce and remove them. Reverse osmosis is also uh, an approved technology for that as well. Um, but, you know, as we look at more of these compounds, um, we're starting to study like, you know, reduction rates. And so some of the, the newer PFOS compounds, the ones that they said, well, I mentioned the whole eight chain. They said, oh, eight chain's bad, so let's break it down to six chains and four chains. That must be better. Well, not so much because they're harder to remove from the water. Hmm. Um, so like your typical carbon's not going to remove some of those compounds. Um, so it, it, it's it's very tricky. And the, and the science is still out on a lot of it as well. Um, the EPA just recently uh, came out with new health guidelines for PFOA and PFOS. They said initially 70 parts per trillion was okay. And now they came back with levels that, you know, virtually no laboratory can detect down to. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow. They're, yeah, I mean, they're below our detection levels out there, you know, for labs that are testing for it. So, I mean, that sort of speaks volumes yeah. to me. Like, this stuff is not something to mess around with. I just you had know? a client test. I had a question. I know, I just had a client test their building, uh, a doctor, and they came back at 27 parts per trillion. So, you know, they're concerned. Absolutely. I mean, and, and here's also the other thing about PFOS. Um, when you're testing for it too, like I mentioned, it's in so many other products, like you could actually be contributing to those test results, depending on how you're collecting samples. So like that, that's crazy too, to think about. Um, so if you're using the lab and you do a field reagent blank, which I is what I highly recommend, um, you could see like, okay, I took this sample and then I did my field reagent blank and my field reagent blank shows that in the air. I have PFOS exactly. as well. So yeah, it's, just, it's in the air right around where you're collecting the samples and that's how it gets in there. And, you know, you got to take that into account. Like that's not technically, you know, it's in interesting, Marianne, in this particular so, job, we tested the water outside. So they're build they were, they're doing a building. So the actual spigot was on the outside, right? Mm -hmm. So that would help to sort of lock down the fact that it was probably coming from the water, correct? Or could it be in the air in, in naturally occurring fresh air? It could it could definitely be in the air. Um, and here's the other thing, like if it was, if they were building in the area, like a lot of that lumber could be treated with mm. uh, some sort of PFOS compound. So like when, when you're collecting samples, a lot of times they'll be like, you know, they show the spigot right next to the deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably, you know, that you just treated with like water repellent the, the week before. Like, or my brand new composite Eric's deck. got a lot of PFAS right. in his body. <laughs> Eric, you're full of PFAS. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very well could be. Could be. Never tested. So I don't know. You know, yeah. jury's out. <laughs> Well, Marion, I had a question. This kind of whole, this is kind of the basis of why we even reached out again real quick because we love having you on the phone. But 
I'd asked Caroline this question and she went, we got to talk to Marianne about this. And I went, great, let's get her on. I'm seeing a lot of different water filtration systems that are coming on the market now over the last number of years. And they're kind of an all-in-one solution that they're claiming to be, that they will deal with hard water without salt, that they've got a, you know, six-stage filtration system that doesn't have any replaceable filter in it, but it says it has a 20-year warranty, and it says that it creates, like, alkaline water, or it's, we went you know, this, dealing man. all these things. <laughs> Yeah, what do you what are you yeah. seeing with those? Do, do those even do they even work before you go out and spend thousands of dollars? I'm curious. Well, I mean, there are products out there that will reduce scale, um, but they have to be applied properly, and a lot of times that's not a residential application. Although, you know, there are some products that do work. But here, here's like sort of my caution to somebody is. If you're looking at a system and there's there's no maintenance, there's no replaceable parts, and it, it's you know they're they're promising you the world, then it's probably not going to work. Um, I tend to recommend people look for products that are certified, whether it's through uh, the National Sanitation Foundation (NSF) or the Water Quality Association or IATMO, which is a, a plumbing association. Those those organizations all test under the same protocol, and they're all like you know verifying that this filter does indeed you know, remove lead or, or whatever it is that they're claiming to remove. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these units, especially the ones out there that are, that claim the scale reduction without using salts. Um, the, the biggest thing is there's no protocol out there to test them, to tell you that in fact, this does work. So, you know, I'm going to say the jury's kind of out on that. I have seen like, uh, like anecdotal evidence that in fact, like there is some sort of reduction in scale, but it's, it's hard to test and prove that it actually does. Yeah. Cause they're promoting it as like this. And again, I'm kind of, I'm not well-spoken on this. So excuse me if I get it wrong, but it's like a magnetic ionization chamber for the water that makes it so the scale doesn't build up or something like that, which is fascinating to yeah. me. But again, when I go onto people's websites and look at the different systems out there, it seems cool, but I don't see test results that go, oh, here is this. Right. Cause, cause it's hard to test for Like basically I've talked to a lot of these guys over the years. Um, and basically what they're saying is like, whatever it is that they're adding, whether it's magnets or, or some other special like secret <laughs> recipe, whatever they want to call it. Um, you know, that it's changing the structure of the water molecule so that it will not like, and the hardness that's within the water so that it will not attach to the side of the piping or anything. So it won't form the scale. So, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I used to do some work uh, at, at a previous position and we used to test systems before and after. And we tested for a company that, you know, didn't, didn't, use you know salt or anything so what you tested before and what you tested after was the same exact thing because it wasn't removing anything um their big claim was that in fact it just changed the structure so that it would not form the scale on the side of the pipes so yeah okay it's, it, it's, it's hard to yeah. measure that yeah yeah okay that's what I've been wondering because it's, you know, I, I remember, geez, 15 years ago, there was that little thing you could clamp around the water pipe that had a power in the magnets. And it was like the latest uh, multi-level marketing scheme that I saw out there because I had a guy trying yeah. to sell that to me 15 years ago, probably. And I, it seemed like it was a similar kind of product. Yeah. Yeah, they've been around for a long time, and and actually, I mean, I I have heard that some of the magnets do work, um, but they work in in areas where there's high flow, inconsistent flow. So, is that a residential application? Absolutely not. Nope. Um, you know, so there there is some truth to some of what they're saying, okay. um, but like I said, there's not there's not a lot of testing protocols out there that can say yes, this is working. You know, okay, you can't. 
can't prove it. And that's where in my mind, I mean, <laughs> I'm always like, mm, it's always based on the science, right? That's where I become the, where I'm the skeptic going, all right, show me. And then they go, well, and I'm like, are you showing me? Right. I'm not sure. I can't see it. So that's where I struggle. That's where I struggle. Yeah. All right. I, I'm right there with you. And, and also, Marianne and I will tell you okay. too, where your products are manufactured or how they're manufactured is really key. And her and I have uncovered this yeah. now in, in different in different ways, but the, <laughs> the filters that you use can have just yep. as many contaminants as something that you're trying to remove from your water. So you have to be careful. Like you may be taking something out and adding something in like a benzene because that product was manufactured overseas and there were no guidelines yep. for the washers or the products or the tubing that was used. And so you may be thinking you're doing something better for your health. And in, in turn, you're actually making the water worse, which we've seen. Yep. So people that are out there that maybe have that KitchenAid or LG or Samsung refrigerator that has the water filtration system, if you go onto Amazon and go, wow, this filter is only like a tenth of the price of the one that has the name brand, I'm going to order that. And it's coming from, you know, Kazakhstan or someplace like that out there. You go, huh, maybe there's a reason why that's $4 instead of 40. Exactly. Exactly that. And that's a huge, huge problem on Amazon is uh, these knockoff filters. Um, And they're coming from, you know, these countries where, you know, they're not as heavily regulated as we are here. Yeah, very true. And it's one of the things that I, every time I order the new filter, because mine's a pretty good filter in it, it, of course, it's expensive. And it's like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, I just got to do it, just got to do it. But it's so tempting to jump on and go, Wow, I could I could buy ten years of filters for this price, but you're also going to get something that could be worse than not even having the filter in there. Right. Next thing you know, you yeah, got exactly. arsenic poisoning. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of arsenic, let's talk about That's arsenic a little good. bit because the standards that we see nationally are not typically what you have in your state. You have to look at every state, and then you have to look at your national standard and. Arsenic is a carcinogen that's found in the water, which to me, it means you really want zero of it. You don't want to have it floating around, but right. we do. Right. Absolutely. So explain that a little bit. Yeah. We used to run into that a lot when I used to live in Tacoma, um, in the Tacoma area of Washington. Uh, it was the town over from where I was living, but we had for like 70 years, they used to make railroad ties in this arsenic plant right there. So they actually, yep. Did the arsenic and then the and then treated the railroad ties there for the railroad when they were expanding, you know, hundred plus years ago. And so it's interesting. They had to go through and they had huge water quality issues they had to fix. And actually within about a half mile around the arsenic plant, they had to go in and they dug up all the playgrounds, front yards, they hauled off everybody's wow. soil. And this was only 10 years ago, but that's how high the arsenic levels were. They were digging up the lawn out of everybody's homes and replacing the grass and the soil and putting new soil in there and hauling that off to hazmat just because of that. And that groundwater was never the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, they take that kind of stuff seriously. Um, you, you definitely have to reduce the arsenic. Um, and Carolyn, you're absolutely right. Like, um, With the Safe Drinking Water Act, uh, you know, you've got the federal limits under that, but each state can have their own different regulations. Um, So a lot of states can have regulations that are much more strict than what the EPA says is allowable. So, I mean, the state of California comes to mind, uh, the state of New Jersey, yep, New York, those um, probably Massachusetts has some stricter guidelines as well. So like even though um, EPA says like 10 parts per billion is good, um, you know, those states are probably five. more like at five. Exactly five yeah. And and I think, yeah, yeah. And I feel like um, the same thing with the PFAS, you know, the federal government hasn't really done anything, but like with everything that's going on with PFAS and it's popping up so much and people are testing for it. So they know it's there. These states have now started to make their own regulations. So when the EPA was saying 70 parts per trillion is OK, you know, probably like over a dozen states came out and said, nope, we're going to say it's right. much, New Jersey much said, I think we said 27. And, and, so I think that's all right. Parts per trillion. Yeah. 
So here's the question. Are you, I was just going to ask, are you seeing this in well water? Are you seeing this in municipal water? Is it everywhere? Is there a, is there a place that it's most common? Um, I think it's pretty yeah. much everywhere. I mean, it's, it's found in a lot of municipalities. Um, it's found in a lot of well water. I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a place where you didn't find at least a small trace of it. Um, you know, unless the water is actually being treated. That's the only time I've not seen PFOS is when, you know, we've actually done a test on treated water. Um, so, so it is, like I said, I mean, it's, it's all in our environment. It's in products that we use every day. So of course it's gonna, you know, find its way into our aquifers and, you know, our lakes and, and everything like that. So I, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's not a place where you wouldn't be able to find this. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Go ahead, Caroline, with what you were going to say. If people find it and they often ask me this because we uncover it quite a bit, what do you recommend? Is it something that you do want to call your state and let them know? Like, so for PFAS, we found it in a building up in Northern New Jersey at the limit that it isn't acceptable. So what do you do? Do you call the state? Do you call the water board? What is your recommendation for that? Well, yeah, definitely. I would, I would let, like, if it's a municipality, I would call the municipality. I mean, chances are they already know. They may have even sent letters out saying that, you know, it's there. If you're finding it in well water. Yeah. I would let, I would let the, uh, the health department and everybody know that it's there. I mean, will you be able to, you know, get somebody to pay for your system based on that? No. I don't know. Uh, there, there are, there are some areas I know in New Jersey where um, some of the polluters are being held accountable. Um, so they're required to put systems in and the company's paying for it. So that's going to start to probably roll out as states change their regulations on, on that. Um, you know, but it, it it's all going to depend. And unfortunately, it's the homeowner who ends in, up paying. In southern New Jersey or a central, I would say central to south, we had a massive problem with it. And then recently I just uncovered it up in northern New Jersey. And so, and it was in municipality water. So my, you know, that was my question is, should we report it and call the municipality? Are they aware that it's even there? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say definitely report it. If, if they have not gotten some notification from the municipality that it's in there, chances are they haven't tested for it. And I can't even imagine that in New Jersey, they haven't mm -hmm. tested for it. Um, because it's all over in that <laughs> nice. state. <laughs> Welcome um, to Jersey. <laughs> I, I, I mean, right? Well, and they just, you know, I think it was in December with the Private Well Testing Act, they just included the PFOA and the PFOS. So now they're starting to find even more of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would notify the, the, the municipality. Will they be able to do anything about it? They probably are already working on on a solution, but unfortunately for municipalities, um, the systems are large and they're mm -hmm. expensive. So, you know, it could it could take two years before they find the solution that they're able to install and then also afford. And of course, you know, they're going to pass some of that cost on to the to the homeowner. Sure. Like in my area, we just built uh, a huge new water treatment facility that services my city and a few others here in my area, which is great. And they provide a water quality report that goes out to the public for, for people that are on the water system. But there's no PFAS or anything on that water quality test that they're doing that they're sending out to us at least. So they do not really? even address it. And I'm like, hmm, I'm going to have to ask a few more questions now, aren't I? Because it's not yeah. on there. Yeah, most of the like – a lot of the states that kind of like took a hard line on this PFAS and started making their own regulations, um, they put together testing protocols. And yeah, if they found it, then they had to notify people. Um, the state of Washington does not come to the top of my head when I'm thinking of PFAS regulated states. So yep. they, I'm, and they, I'm in they Oregon. It's the same well, thing. It's uh, not here that uh, I know yeah. of. So they're like, Head in the sand. We don't test for it. We don't know what's there. I, <laughs> you know. But at least they 
come on guys, but get it together. At least they bust their contractors out in Oregon. You guys are good at maintaining good quality construction. Yeah, we don't we have that in New Jersey or New York or Connecticut. <laughs> and the list goes on and on. Yeah, we're brutal out here on contractors. <laughs> that uh, So they're state licensed and uh, every, you know, plumbers have to be licensed plumbers. And uh, you can't have handyman doing stuff if they actually have guys that are actually, you know, I say guys, but male and females driving around that are looking and they're even setting up stings to find unlicensed contractors. And it's a $5,000 fine. They don't mess around. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, I see that they have a new thing here addressing PFOS in Oregon. Yeah, the EPA is 70 parts per trillion, and that's what they're trying to uh, make sure everybody's drinking water is better than that is what they're saying. But we'll see what happens. They just changed that level like within the last, I want to say, last month. They changed it down to like the super low detection level. Exactly. yeah, yeah, seventy parts per trillion's old yeah. news now. Well, that's 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 Oregon for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little, little behind the times. A little behind the times on that stuff. A little I behind the times. I got a question for Marion. So we'll we'll get there Marianne, one day. So, what is the your number one? Like, if you're looking at water, whether it's a municipality or a well, what's your number one thing? Like your pet peeve that you don't want to see in the water? Out of all the things that you know are out there. Well, I mean. I'm very passionate about the whole PFOS thing, but the one thing that that I I definitely do not like to see in municipal water or well water or any water really is lead. And I think like the whole, like the Safe Drinking Water Act and the, the lead and copper rule, like people don't understand that um, because they give up to like 15 parts per billion for lead uh, in order to meet that like uh, – lead and copper rule and like the requirements and everything. And they just changed a lot of this. So people think that it's okay to drink 15 parts per billion of lead. And it's not. That's not good. <laughs> it's not. So, so like, um, you know, a lot of times municipalities will, or like labs will, will mark on their report, like, um, you know, it meets the requirement. Oh, well, it meets the requirement. It doesn't mean that it's safe at no. all. Um, the way the rules are, the, the way the rules are written, it, it's, you know, it, it's just uh, it's crazy because everybody thinks like, OK, the city of Cleveland doesn't have a, a lead and copper problem when each like ho- individual home could have that problem. They're just not happening to test that particular home or, you know, there's there's a lot of ways they get around that, I think. Um, but I'd have to say lead's probably one of my pet peeves to see in municipal water. And how about softeners? Because I'm kind of yeah. anti-softener, right? And people always say to me, why? And I say, because a lot of people really don't have that high mineral content where they're actually putting it on and trying to soften it. They just put it on as a gimmick, right? They go to a local box store, the box store says, oh, your water quality is poor, put a softener on. And then the softener ends up softening those pipes that contributes to the lead and copper issue. So, I mean, what's your feeling on softeners? Right. Well, I, I, full disclosure, I work for a resin manufacturer, (laughs) which uh, manufactures cation resin that goes into these softeners. Um, (laughs) So full disclosure there, but I, I feel like um, there is a point at which hardness minerals can mm-hmm. become a problem in a home where they build up in your hot water tank, they build up in your dishwasher, your washing machine, your, you know, that, that sort of thing. So it could have a detrimental effect on those types of large appliances, um, but it's going to depend on the level. Um, so I, I think testing Gee. is obviously, you know, me, me too. I'm the testing I think you need girl. To test. So testing. Yeah, you got to test. You got to find out what your levels are. Um, you know, if it's if it's to me, if it's above a hundred parts per million, then you should consider a softener, and you'd have, you know, you'd have a reduction of that. Um, not not so much that it would soften the pipes, but you know, you'd have less uh, scale buildup on those types of appliances. Yeah. Yeah. So that. I mean, and that's sort of a pet peeve of mine as well as like these gimmicky water treatment guys that are out there just to sell softeners. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of the reputable guys that's sort of gone by the wayside and that they're looking at the water as a as a whole. Um, like, what are the other health implications? Because hard water, you know what? You can drink that all day long. It's not going to hurt you. Um, but hard water with arsenic 
you know, you don't no. want to be drinking that. So yeah. I think a lot of guys, especially in, in this, are taking a look at like the the whole water as a whole. What else is in the water besides hardness? So yeah. so they can make the right recommendation. See, as an interior designer of 30 years, I have recommended treating that water when it gets hard like that, where you're starting to get the buildup on the inside of the appliances. You know, I've had clients put in a brand new shower system and they spent $10,000 in a shower but refuse to treat the water. And then a year later, the shower looks horrible. The glass is etched. You can't save the yep. shower door. And they just absolutely ruined this brand new shower due to the absolute hardness of water in there. And so now that now the door looks cloudy and it's all kind of been, you know, trashed. And so for me, I've always pushed them just for that reason, just to not damage the house. Right. Right. And same thing, same thing with the, uh, you know, the dishwasher and the washing machine and think of your hot water tank. And a lot of people don't like, uh, um, like drain their hot water tank enough so that they're flushing those hard minerals out, you know? So most people yeah, with hard absolutely. water, when they go to drain their water tank for the first time, if it's been a couple years, they'll, mm -hmm. you know, turn the power off or turn the gas off to it. So they don't hurt it. They'll go to open the drain in the bottom and the water won't come out because there's so much buildup build in the up. bottom of that. I have gone in to help change out friends' water heaters that had died at five years in, and mm. it was half full of sediment. So that 50-gallon tank only had 20 gallons of water and one <laughs> element working because the sediment right. had built up so much inside of it just from hard water scale. Yep. Yeah, definitely a, a little crazy on that hard water scale. And and like I said, not everybody knows to do that. Yeah. You know, to, to drain that out on a on an annual basis, not every couple years. Yeah. See, mine's pretty good. I mean, I'm on a municipal water system. Uh, our water comes from a mountain lake. So we've only got 25 parts per million on our water, on our soft, you know, we've got soft water naturally coming out of that. Yep. The thing I'm worried about, though, is it's coming out of a mountain lake and, you know, Oregon has wildfires. There's plenty of PFAS mm. that is used yep. in when they're out there dropping the water from the airplanes during fire season. So they've had yep. PFAS in that for a long time. So it's always something that I want to make sure. Oh, it's mountain water. Great. But yeah, was there a fire around that lake recently where maybe they dropped that in the last 10 years? And so now you've got a high concentration a foam that came down that's now got PFOS in it that's right next to the lake, right? So you got to be careful. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. There's always a source of contamination <laughs> nearby. <laughs> <laughs> One of the problems we've had down here, um, and this happened a few years ago, and I and I had people on the radio show making fun of me because I have my killer water filter, and People go, oh, you'll never need that. We got plenty of water around here. Well, it was this was in Salem, Oregon, south of me. That was probably four or five years ago. They ended up having a boil water notice for, sheesh, three weeks, four weeks because of water contamination. So they oh, wow. had, um, I forget what it was. It was some, I don't remember what it was, you know, if it was um, trying to think if it was like cryptosporidium or one oh, of those kind of things that was that's in there. What it was. They get that out West. Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. I think that's what it was. But anyway, wow. it, they, they couldn't get on it. Their system couldn't deal with it. So it was coming from the source. And so they basically had to wait for whatever happened in the lake they were pulling out for that to go away because they didn't have a way to treat it in their system. Yeah, it, it's difficult for large municipalities to treat for something like that. So, wow, that's crazy for three weeks that you're under that advisory. Yeah, I'm happy <laughs> it wasn't me, but I was just, you know, it's half hour, 45 right. minutes south of me. But I had friends that were like, hey, can we come take a shower at your house? Man, like, yeah, come on over. Because they were like, I don't want to shower <laughs> in that, you know. I remember right. when that happened because my friend was out in Portland and she yep. was saying that was like a big issue. Yeah. And for mm -hmm. us, I'm, I'm happy because they, they built in ways to treat that. You know, everything's treated that's coming through the system using carbon filters. And, and they've got a way to deal with that if that ever happened. But they just had an old water system. So you're almost better to be on a well at that point in that area because it was coming from a different water source. Right. Absolutely. So what do you recommend, Marianne, for people that have wells? You know, there we, there's so many you know people around the country that are, 
Like Caroline, you're on a well, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I love it. What do it. you recommend for I will testing always have that? it? So, I, I mean, obviously, I am the testing girl. Um, yeah. That's where my whole background has come from. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in test your water on a regular basis. If you have your own well, you're not paying for your water. So you've got to pay to be your own water treatment plant. And -hmm. part of that is testing on a regular basis. So I do recommend running a fairly extensive test annually because water quality can change um, over time. And, you know, based on, you know, drought conditions and rainfall and all that, it can change pretty significantly. So I'm all about testing on a regular basis, um, at least annually. Yeah, you may even want to test for bacteria on a more regular basis, depending on, you know, what kind of what kind of results you've had in the past. Um, But once you know what your problems are in the water, then you can address them. I mean, there's all kinds of whether it's a water softener, a carbon filter, um, you know, something to address specifically arsenic. um, You know, there's there are definitely treatment options out there for just about anything. Um, I mean, there are limitations, of course, but, you know, the best thing to do is find out what what you're dealing with first. And then and then from there, you can kind of say, okay, well, this is the this is the treatment options available to me. This is what they cost. And then you can make your your decision based on that. Cool. Okay, I got a question that is probably the most controversial water thing in the world. (laughs) Fluoride in the drinking water. Oh, I was just talking about this the other day. Um, (laughs) This is how we make everyone mad in our listening audience all at once. (laughs) Yeah. um, I mean, technically fluoride is considered a poison. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we are adding it to our water. Um, They're not, they should not be adding it in an amount to where, you know, it would cause significant damage. But here's the thing. Um, the way that they add it, they have a hard time controlling the levels. So you could you could end up with a slug of fluoride in the water that's mm. higher than you would like. Um, to me, I'm I'm not a big fluoride advocate. I don't believe in it. I, you know, if you want fluoride, Same. You, you know, use some use a toothpaste. Yeah, it's a great toothpaste that you can fluoride. control how much you right. put in your body, right? Exactly. You don't ingest it. Yep. You know. Um, so that that's kind of my thoughts. And there's there are a lot of people out there that do not like fluoride in the water. Exactly. Um, so I'm happy my system doesn't add it. It's uh, and there's no natural in the water. So there's zero in it, which I'm cool with. But, yeah, there's still plenty of uh, people that I talk to that the city water system or the municipalities dropping it in there, you know, and uh, it gets to be pretty pretty controversial is there still can you filter that out pretty easily if you wanted to put a filtration system in your home if they are providing that fluoride is one of those um one of those compounds that's a little bit more difficult to to reduce um but there are there are options out there there's something called bone char which is like a type like a type of carbon Mm -hmm. um that will reduce uh, fluoride. I feel like that's probably one of the best options out there for reduction. Um, so yeah, there's options. If you have it in your water, you can reduce it and remove it. Cool. Okay. And then RO, RO will also take it out. Reverse osmosis pretty much takes everything out. So yeah, that's always been my, my battle. And, and I want to get you both of your guys' take on RO. I think if you got really low quality water coming in, RO might be a great option, but I don't like the taste or lack of, I don't like the minerals it takes out. What's your guys' take on that? Well, my personal take is that I don't, I don't like uh, RO water to drink unless you, unless you uh, like remineralize it. So a lot of, a lot of these guys out there are now finding like, okay, yeah, we're using reverse osmosis to remove some of these dangerous things like arsenic or fluoride or what have you. But we do like a little bit of calcium and potassium in our water. (laughs) You know, there is, there is a little bit of taste difference. So a lot of these guys that are installing ROs now are actually adding what they call a remineralizing cartridge. On. So it's going to slowly add in some mineral content, but, you know, not anything significant. So you'll you'll notice that it's going to taste a little better than, you know, plain RO water. Right. The, the other issue, too, is whole house system versus under the sink mount. 
And so when we're yeah. talking about certain chemicals, our body, our skin, we often forget is our largest bodily organ. And so when you go in to take a shower, you may say, and this is like the quote from every client I've ever had, I don't drink my water. Why do I care? And I'm like, because some of these things right. go right through your skin and you're showering in it three times a day. So, and I've seen this right. in radon, other things, you know, you've got radioactive materials that come up through the water, can come up through the pipe. So radon is a perfect example. I had a client who she was showering and she was getting really high levels of radon coming out of the shower head. And so what was interesting yep. is she had these very peculiar symptoms and nobody could trace it to anything. And then she ended up being one of my clients. And when I tested her radon, I uncovered it. And I think I did it with you, Marianne. I think we actually found her radon level to be extremely high. And what was interesting is we corrected the problem and her symptoms went away. So as much as radon is this odorless, colorless gas, I guess in some people it could create symptoms if your body's sensitive to it. So oh, it's kind of interesting. For sure. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's funny that that showering experience is something that can, that can, be just as dangerous if you have low quality water than if you're drinking it yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, more. I mean, just think about it. When you take take a hot shower, all the pores in your skin mm -hmm. open up and mm -hmm. you can absorb those chemicals or whatever it is directly into your body. Yeah. All right. That's something I saw to think a about. Study. Marianne could probably clarify this, but I saw a study years ago and they said that you absorbed like 80% of the chemicals in the water from showering and like 20%. It was a very smaller number through drinking because your body actually can filter out. And it's, a, a, I guess, a filtration mechanism to get rid of them when you drink it versus through your skin. Have you ever heard anything like that? Um, I don't think it's quite that high. And I mean, it all depends on what the, what it is. Um, cause they are like right now, especially like with PFOS, you know, they're claiming that, you know, it, you can't absorb it through your skin. And I, personally don't believe that for a minute um like i said i mean you take a hot shower you your pores open up mm -hmm. where else is this stuff gonna go mm -hmm. um is it you know is it is it as bad as directly ingesting it i don't i don't know the answer and and unfortunately there's not a lot of answers because this isn't studied no enough, data yep. you know yeah yeah so I got a question, like, for instance, um, you know, I don't drink a lot of bottled water because we've got really great tasting water around here. So in my day-to-day -day thing, I'm not blasting bottled water all the time. I have my stainless steel containers I drink out of and, and keep them clean. But if I travel down to, like, let's say Las Vegas, and I try to get water out of the tap of the hotel there, to me, it tastes awful. <laughs> Now, yep. there's a lot of things you don't want to touch in Las Vegas, and I, I love our Las Vegas radio <laughs> listeners. Thank you for tuning in. I'm not trying to be harsh on you guys, but you don't have the best tasting public water. What is that? Are we tasting minerals, or what's typically the issue with stuff like that where you have fairly low-quality tasting water versus testing water? Yeah, I would say it's probably like a lot of it is mineral contents. I mean, sort of the same thing down in Florida. You don't want to really yeah. drink the water down same. there. There's a lot of it's got that sulfury taste. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it is mineral content. Um, and then of course you add on the chlorine, um, especially in areas where it's that warm year round, mm -hmm. Vegas, Florida, you know, they're adding lots of chlorine and then just think about that, that chlorine's reacting with that, whatever else is in the water. Um, gotcha. so, so it's reacting to the minerals, it's reacting to yeah. the metals, all the different stuff. It's, it's doing its own little tear apart everything this. trick. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. That makes well, sense because, yeah, I get down there. And I'm like, whoo, wow. Florida, same thing. I was at the hotel down there and I'm like, yeah, it looks like it's a bottle of water thing down here. So, and that's what everybody does. And I, and I get it. Yeah. I drink a lot of bottled water when I'm on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. I bet you do. What do you see, you know, what do you think of some of the filtration systems out there? I mean, every, there's so many people out there that go down to Target and buy their pure system in the pitcher. And are, do those help sometimes? And I'm not trying to go after pure, but, you know, there's all those little simple, inexpensive retail solutions that you see out there. 
So a lot of those actually do exactly what they say they do. So like Pure, Brita, um, there's zero water technologies out there. Mm -hmm. Those those guys have all gone through extensive testing. I believe all of those products are NSF listed. Okay. So so they've been tested um to to whatever claims that they're making i think a lot of them are a lead reduction claim a chlorine taste and odor um you know there's there's lots of different technologies in each one of those so in fact those do exactly what they say they do now if you apply them improperly like let's just say you're gonna put that on a you know a well water you know application where you might have a lot of iron is that filter going to perform properly Probably not. No. Um, so there are limitations depending on what the water quality is going in. So if it's built for it, it's going to do pretty decent. Right. But if it's if it's hitting something at way higher than you'd normally see in the water, like a well water where you've got, you know, maybe it says it takes care of iron, but you're throwing so much iron in it, you might overwhelm that system. Yeah. I mean, if you're on a well, you should definitely be talking to a professional water treatment professional because, you know, there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to well water. And I, I was on a well one time in a farm community. It was out in the middle of nowhere, you know, 25 minutes outside the metro area where I was living. And we would see our water quality tests come back because we would have droughts, we'd have rains. And then, you know, we had a lot of farmland and cows and things like that. And we'd get all these different things with runoff that would show up in the wells. If we had a very wet season, we would go, ooh, okay. We'd see things like a coli number start to come up or something like that. It was fascinating to see just how the weather would change depending on when we took those well samples. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you collect your samples like in the spring when it's, you know, extra wet out, your levels can go up. Um, even even when you collect in drought situations, depending on the contaminant, um, those levels could go up or down. So, yeah, it definitely will impact what your water quality is. And even with municipal wells, they treat and chlorinate depending on the heat, right? So if it's warmer, they're going to have yep. to chlorinate a lot more. So you'll see your chlorination numbers go up, your chlorination byproduct go up, which are right. carcinogenic. Just FYI. Yeah. I mean, that that's why they, um, when they're regulating disinfection byproducts in the water, it's based on an annual average because, you know, at least up here, I'm in Ohio and, you know, we don't chlorinate heavily in the wintertime because we don't need to. But then just think about those, those systems like Florida and, you know, Houston, Texas, they tend to chlorinate pretty heavily year round. Um, so... You know, that's that's part of the reason that they they regulate those disinfection byproducts on a like a annual basis. That makes sense. That makes sense. What are you seeing with technology these days? Is is there new stuff that's been coming out that's making this easier or in testing where they're being able to do more testing with it? What are you seeing with technology over the last few years? Well, I'm, I'm going to say in testing, we're. Like, especially with the PFOS, we're looking to get lower and lower on detection levels. Um, there's some technology, newer technologies coming out um, being tested against like PFOS. Um, but for the most part, I mean, it's your typical treatment technologies that are being relied on for most contamination. So like your carbon filters, reverse osmosis, ion exchange. I mean, those are your, your big ones. Uh, to rely on. I mean, there's been some improvements, but I mean, technology's pretty much the same. Cool. cool. Marianne, are they doing anything now with its, its desalination? Is that correct? Like taking water, I guess, what is that salt water and then removing it and making it into drinking water? I, I see occasionally a friend of mine that we worked with, um, we went to high school together. He is big into water treatment out at UCLA as a professor. And I see they're always constantly doing, I think Kevin Costner was behind his company trying to, I guess, clean water, right? From whether it be oil, oil spills or using, I guess, salt water to be able to use it as drinking water, that type of thing. Is that like still pretty innovative stuff going on there? 
Well, I mean, the technology is like reverse osmosis, basically, is what they're mm-hmm. using for desalinization. Right? Um, yeah. yeah, membrane technology. So, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty common, um, especially like if you go down to the Caribbean. Um, my favorite place to go is Aruba. Um, so <laughs> I've done I've done some work with them in the past because uh, they do a lot of desal down there as well. So. So, yeah, it, I mean, they they supply that whole island is all desal water. So, That's I mean, cool. it's like it's like getting RO water directly out of your tap. Yeah. Down there. The problem that you see, though, is, is it's, it's fairly expensive to operate. Right. Yep. So it. That's why you don't yep. see in California them trying to fill the lakes up there with the drought because yeah, you think they it would, would just it would cost so much money to sit there and take you know water out of the Pacific and pump it all the way out there after they've done it. Yeah, one hundred percent. And that's like like some of the things that I would talk to like the the people of Aruba, like my taxi cab driver, who'd be like, yeah, but the the cost of water out here is ridiculous. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it is expensive to do. So you're absolutely right. It'll never it'll never catch on in California. It's already too expensive to live there anyway. Right, right. Well, I mean, who wants to live there at this point? <laughs> you know, but I, I tell you what, I say that and I joke about it, but then I've got our friends like David Applebaum, that uh, architect of the stars that would like to be no other place. He's just living the life down there. So there's people down there that just absolutely love it. It's not for me, but, uh, you know, there's people out there yeah. that just, that it's their jam. I mean, it's nice, and I'd like to visit, but not for me to live there, for sure. Yeah. Hey, we we started talking about this before we got on the radio and podcast here talking about this, but uh, you got a concert coming up, don't you? Oh, yeah. I got a couple coming up this summer. I can't wait. Same here. We were starting to talk about Metallica, which is, of course, (laughs) one of my favorite old school bands. And then I brought up something Definitely mine. Yeah. Then I brought up a sore subject with Marianne about me going to the Monsters of Rock Festival when I was 16 years old, I think, in, in 1986, and uh, to date myself there, and when they were the opening act, and uh, right, you weren't able to go, it sounds like. No, I didn't make it that middle. year, because I, I was... I was a little too young um, to go with my older friends. Um, so, yeah, I remember I remember that night very clearly. Me and my, my best friend, we both weren't able to go. And, you know, we sat around talking about what song would be playing right now oh. <laughs> if we were there. Oh, my, my parents were good sports. I, how they let me and a bunch of friends at 16 – drive two hours away a friend's mom booked the hotel for us and paid it we stayed in the hotel and it was at 16 and went to the show and it was a wild show it was 100 degrees outside so they had the fire department there with a ladder truck spring water over the top of people because it was just packed with fire hoses to keep us cool yeah, my my sister and you know her friends all got to go because they were older, and she said the same thing. It was like over a hundred degrees, and like people were just dropping like flies because it was so hot out. Um, yeah, and they had the fire department there as well. You know, this was uh, I think down in uh, Akron Rubber Bowl is okay. where they had it here on this in the Midwest back nice. in the day. I so. saw it up in Spokane, Washington. So I saw it up there oh. at their outdoor you know, uh, football stadium there that they had there for the college. So it was, it was a lot of fun, but whoo, great show. You're going to see a good show with them. I can't wait to catch them the next time around. I've caught them a few times and uh, they never disappoint. Mm-mm. Never, never. And it's been years since I've seen them and it feels like forever because of this whole COVID thing that I've been able to see live music. So, I mean, I am pumped and ready to go and <laughs> and i do have i do have to drive all the way to pittsburgh to go see that's them okay so. that city will, likes to party concerts in pittsburgh are pretty good <laughs> yeah i i have seen some good ones out there so nice but yeah metallica not coming close enough to cleveland <laughs> come on and i heard cleveland rocks so why not well, exactly <laughs> why why aren't they here 
That's awesome. Carolyn, I see you had a question over there. You were popping up before I took us off into left field on music. Yeah, I'm going to go bopping back to water for a second. We have this massive issue in our reservoirs here um, with algae bloom. Now, we just had one shut down, so no swimming, no um, taking kayaks out, that kind of thing. And now it's spreading to other uh, local uh, water um, sources. So what is with algae blooms? How do they affect us? And is it something that we have to worry about moving forward, I guess, because of climate change? I mean, we've obviously been seeing a lot of this. So, so this is kind of interesting because like when I first started in this industry some 20 years ago, occasionally you would hear about these algae blooms and it would show up like in like some random lake, you know, off the beaten path where and, and you'd find out about it because like usually some animal got into the water and um, it's, you know, exposed to toxic chemicals. And unfortunately, like either they died or they got really sick. Mm-hmm. Um so, so yeah, algae blooms are happening a lot because of runoff into the lakes. Um, we see this here in Cleveland and, and more so to the west of us, like out near Toledo, because there's a lot more farmlands out there. Um, and basically, it's a lot of like phosphorus that's making itself into the lake. It's giving more food to the algae. The algae grows. Um and unfortunately, a lot of these like blue green algae is what they call it, um, will release some sort of toxin into the water, which is scary. where it gets scary. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. get very, so, very sick or what are the symptoms if you are exposed? I don't know exactly what the symptoms are. I don't remember off the top of my head, like what what symptoms were, but I know they made people ill. I'm going to say probably vomiting mm-hmm. is is a, a symptom. Um you know, dizziness, that sort of thing. Cause it, it is like a neurotoxin. Neurotoxin. Um, yeah. yeah. So Man, that is something to so watch yeah. out for. You have that Eric yeah. out where you are in the lake. Have you ever heard of it? hundred percent. We have lakes and stuff around here that I can't even take the dogs walking around the outside, usually in late summer because they're like, so Hey, sad. you can kill your dog by drinking out of the water there in that lake because of the, <gasps> because of the blue green algae. So it's something got to be really, yep. really careful of. And, We'll have one or two lakes every single year. It's gone on that way for a while here because our winters are very wet and our summers are really dry. So we don't get much rain between, you know, mid early to mid-June at the latest, 4th of July. And now it doesn't rain measurably typically a couple days till late September, early October. So that there's nothing there to to mix that water up. There's nothing to cool it down. It's just sitting out there baking in the sun with not a lot of water movement. So there's not much of a chance to do anything but grow that algae. And that's important because if you're camping or you're going out for the summer, because all of our listeners do, right? You take a trip, you get in your RV, you get your car, you go out and you just pick a, oh, look, this is a beautiful lake. I'm going to take a dip. And here you go. Cause you, you know, how can you really keep track of it? People in the area might know that there's a problem with it, but you know, as just an innocent bystander passing through the state or on vacation, you might not know there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I think they do probably put signs up mm-hmm. in certain areas where they see where it's real prevalent, but yeah, I'm very weary about, you know, swimming in unknown waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Our lakes are pretty well yeah. tested for that. I mean, if it's a little pond someplace that's off the side of the road, that might not be it. So you got to be careful, but generally are they'll you'll see the caution tape across the parking lot and that kind of stuff where they're like, you're, you're, it's pretty they obvious go. you're going into you a place you're not supposed to be going to. <laughs> yeah. So great. Well, Marianne, we're running out of time. What else have we not talked about today with water quality? Gosh, I think we've we've covered so much today. Um, I th- like I said, I kind of think. It, I mean, it's important to test and then figure out, you know, what it is that you need, and then you know, apply the appropriate treatment. And I I think the one thing that I'm also a little bit passionate about in the water treatment industry is is that you know it's silly for us to expect like a municipality to produce like a high quality water and have it piped to our homes only for us to wash our cars with it you know so much of the water that comes to the home is not being we're not drinking it so you know at some point in time, I feel like, you know, every household is going to have some sort of water treatment device. 
And, you know, that's the way it should be. Perfect. Fantastic. One other little Metallica comment. Did you guys see that Stranger Things show moved Metallica's Master of Puppets to the iTunes rock chart number one this last week? Oh, no. They were on Stranger Things. Yeah. So all of a sudden, Master of Puppets, which came out when I was in middle school, is now number one on the rock charts. And I'm like, funny how TV can get us old school rock back up in the charts. That's awesome. Oh, it's always been in the top of my charts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. <laughs> On that note, we'll get out of here. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around, Around the, House. the House. Somewhere unseen and undiscovered. is a love song let's be lovers we're all over the radio take my hand i know where to go all over the radio with you hey it's eric g from around the house are you planning a decking or siding project this year if you are you've got to check out my friends at millboard millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction hand molded from the finest oak it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood if you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood check out millboard.com make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back that's millboard.com